It is time to answer some big questions about our universe. This is All Things Photonics, a podcast about the physical science of light, lasers, optics, and fascinating tech news. Each episode, you'll hear groundbreaking stories from around the world about the fibers of science, from its triumphant past to its audacious future. Brought to you by Photonics Media. This is Associate Editor Joel Williams. Here are this week's top stories. Scientists at the University of Sydney Institute of Photonics and Optical Science have developed a new type of soliton laser that can deliver high amounts of energy in short bursts. With potential applications in eye and heart surgery or the engineering of delicate materials. Researchers at Binghamton University, who previously developed a method for detecting butterfly landmines using low-cost commercial drones equipped with multispectral and infrared cameras, are now focusing on automated detection of landmines using convolutional neural networks. Researchers at the University of Chicago have designed a multidimensional imaging analysis pipeline for lattice light sheet microscopy. They set out to study T-cell function using high-dimensional microscopy, but then identified the need for an effective method of analysis. And finally, researchers from France, China, and Brazil have developed plasmonic metasurfaces that provide an efficient, saturable absorption that can be tuned with the polarization of light. Today's episode is sponsored by Coherent. Coherent lasers have been enabling breakthroughs in scientific research, life sciences, microelectronics, and materials processing for over 50 years. Today, in collaboration with SPIE, we're proud to support the academic community in the shift to virtual learning by offering an in-depth online course on laser technology and applications for free. Learn more at www.coherent.com ATP, as in all things photonics. Hi all, it's Emma. Last episode, we aired part of our interview with Coherent COO Mark Sobey. This week, in our final episode of this season, we are sharing another snippet of that interview as we hear from CEO Andy Matz as he takes over the reins from his predecessor, John Ambrosio. You've been placed in this position during a pandemic, so you kind of have two responsibilities. Uh, I'm just curious how you navigate Coherent with a general business battle plan as well as a plan to help the company through a pandemic crisis? This is a very unusual time to take the reins of the company. Uh, It's even more unusual to have to do all of that in a very virtual world where all of us are under stay-in-place orders. But I just got a very simple order of priority. The first thing that we have to do is we have to make sure all of our employees and their families stay healthy. And we spend a lot of time and energy talking around that and making sure that wherever we manufacture uh, and where we are exempt from the shutdown orders, that we can guarantee that. The second order of business is we have to make sure that our company stays healthy. And as you can imagine, that's also something that we're doing, and that's 
predominantly means you got to preserve the cash that you have as, as an organization. Third order of business is we need to be good partners for our customers. Mark and I have been on probably a dozen customer calls since I joined the company, um, usually until late into the, into the night with our customers in Asia. And they are in very different, in each country there are different states where they are and what type of help they have. Uh, give you an example. We talked to a uh, leading uh, tech company in China late last night, and they were asking us to how we can get service and support engineers to help them ramp up some new gear. So it's, it's all over the spectrum. And then finally, to your earlier question, is, uh, and how do we make sure we get the company back on a growth trajectory once all this pandemic is at the rear of your mirror? So... Our days are, are filled, our to-do list is long, but it's a very exciting task, and I had the pleasure of meeting a phenomenal team at the company, and with the promotion of Mark to the CEO for the team, I to have a partner who can help me um, share the load, and we're working really hard to, to get through all of this and come out at the other end of the pandemic as a, yet a better company. Yeah, that's a great transition to our next question. Well, we don't always see a scenario in which there is both a CEO and COO. Why did you and eventually the board elect to implement this infrastructure? Okay, it's pretty simple. My predecessor had spent his whole business life with the company, and John was in the chair for 18 years. And what I wanted to accomplish, what the board wanted to accomplish is to, on the one hand, send a very strong signal to the market of how important our OLED business is, to send a very strong signal to our customers how important the customer relationships are, the trust that we've developed, the partnerships that we have developed, and Mark stands for all of that. And that message was, very well received by our customers. And then in addition to all of this, you have the proverbial fresh set of eyes and outside view and um, experience in other parts of the tech industry that I bring uh, to the party. So I think the simple way to think about it is with Mark and I uh, teamed up as a power team, you get the best of both worlds. Dr. Tom Haskin is the Senior Industry Advisor at OSA, bringing with him over 30 years of experience in the research, government, and corporate sectors. Recently, he has been a leading source on the photonics industry's impact during COVID-19. Dr. Haskin, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. We recently interviewed you for Photonics.com, where you discussed the impact COVID-19 has had on supply chains. Can you talk about the impact on the trade war on the supply chain and how much more it was affected due to this pandemic? Companies that appear to be 
Chinese companies that actually do some manufacturing in the U.S. You have companies that appear to be U.S. companies that do manufacturing in China. And so just unraveling some of that can be complicated. And then you have the imposition of some restrictions, but then they're not really restrictions yet. Like, for example, just last week, there was an announcement about the Trump administration putting some restrictions, some more restrictions on Huawei, but there's a 90-day period, grace period for the companies that already have contracts, and they said this time there'll be no extension. And so there is all these different things that, to unravel, and then they change, and on top, on top of that, now there's a pandemic. So I think it's very difficult to unravel. Companies were already looking at moving locations for trade war reasons or other reasons, and then the pandemic changes things, and so they need to change their sources of supply and, and all this. So I actually think it's very difficult. As I've looked at company by company, their stories come out in the quarterly earnings reports that they're giving to their investors, but I'm not sure how much uh, generalization you can make across the entire industry. If you looked at region by region, do you notice any impact or recoveries that are different, or do you see the the future of the industry changing in sectors such as Asia-Pacific, Europe, or North America? So I think to a first approximation, the answer is no, the changes will not be dramatic uh, region by region. So here's why. First of all, it's a global pandemic. We know that. It's remarkable in the fact that it is so global this time that it's not something that is due to a, a natural disaster that's confined to a certain region or political situations confined to a certain region. It's really global, so everybody's in this together. And But we also know, you read the newspapers, uh, the, uh, online or wherever you get your news, that Asia responded more quickly, right? It hit first, and these pandemics have hit Asia in the past. They have a response that's a little bit different than maybe North America and Europe. And so they responded quickly, but then they have to depend on the demand that everybody else is depending on as well. So just because they get their supply chains back up and running, now there's questions about whether there'll be demand there now that the supply chains are back. And then you have Europe and U.S. with their issues. So I think the first approximation, we're all in this together, for better or for worse. So there's no particular advantage in that sense. We may find out going forward that there were some differences uh, in that, but I, I don't see that as such a consequence uh, because it is so global this time. Again, maybe specific companies, if you react very quickly, you might be able to gain market share because you were you positioned yourself more quickly or you reacted more quickly than other companies, but that's a company-by-company company difference. Now, if you were to compare, this is sort of a follow-up, the regions that are depending on other regions to recover in order for themselves to recover... Is there a symbiotic relationship there, or is it more influenced by the companies competing, trying to gain market share? There's definitely a symbiotic relationship that, again, these global supply chains, they're so global. For example, I've found it difficult to even define what it means to be a, let's say, a U.S. company or a European company, because maybe uh, in some cases your company headquarters is in one place, your stock is traded in certain places, you uh, have some of your own components made in a different continent, but you also source them from other continents. Then you assemble them into a system in yet a different continent, and of course it's sold who knows where. And so how do you even define this? It is so much more complicated today than it was in previous years. So it will depend company by company, and 
I think to a first approximation, we could say that it's not really changing the regional dynamics that much. Again, we all know that China and Asia in general have, you know, head start on the crisis and head start on coming out of the crisis as well. They've reacted differently. But they're as dependent on us, on North America and Europe, to buy the parts and so forth. And what types of photonics companies were designated essential during this pandemic? So uh, certainly companies that are serving the military industry or telecom, uh, it seems actually that there's a lot of companies that are somehow deemed essential. Uh, for one reason or another, uh, their customers can consider it, can get it designated that way, or with their local regional governments, they can be considered essential in some fashion. So I'm not sure just exactly how that falls out, and, and of course, it's different in different places. But it certainly seems that in photonics, there are a lot of special services. So it's very different from the hospitality industry, uh, something like Las Vegas, where it is so dependent on entertainment and hospitality, restaurants, hotels, and events, and that sort of thing. Our industry is a, a lot of the workers have been working from home. Even some of the manufacturing facilities have stayed open, either with a skeleton crew or actual you know, full operations, or there was an interruption, but now they're back again. So I'm not sure of the actual statistics, but I think the photonics industry is certainly a long ways from those industries that have been devastated by this pandemic. Uh, were there any areas or companies that were thriving during the pandemic? Thriving. I think it's difficult to use that word. Uh, certainly Zoom. Let's, let's look at Zoom, and it's not necessarily a photonics company, but it's somewhere in its operations, of course, the traffic is going over fiber optic networks, which is, which is photonics. Uh, Zoom... It is now a 20 or $30 billion company. The growth of the stock has been phenomenal over the last several months, even before the pandemic, by the way. But then the pandemic, of course, it just took off. It was positioned at the right place at the right time. Uh, it turns out that its stock trading code is ZM, and there's another company called Zoom that has, its stock code is Z-O-O-M. It hasn't sold any products. I believe since 2011, it had, it is something like a $20 million company with an M instead of a B. And uh, its stock also took off for no good reason other than the fact that people confused Z-O-O-M, uh, the company, with Z-M, the company that we're more familiar with since this whole thing happened. So, so you get some situations like that. But I think certainly there are companies that are positioned in the UV lamp or LED business uh, and so forth, but I, I have to take to say that they thrived. Every company has challenges, and so let's just say that maybe some of them are faring better through this than others. As a witness on the front lines of this pandemic, were you surprised by anything in the photonics industry? The I think we're all surprised by different things, you know, from the human scale all the way up to the global scale of it. So that's, I think, nothing different than what everybody's observing, which is just the scale of this, how how massive it is and how global it is that even in Nepal, for example, every country in the world is experiencing it. I, I guess I am somewhat surprised that our indications show that the 
fall in revenues isn't worse than it is. So let me be very careful about how I say this. So we're anticipating uh, a drop in revenues this year and then some recovery next year and then maybe 2022 to be back to where it was in 2019. So sort of a full recover if you look at it that way. Now, of course, we may have to update this as we go along. There are indications that demand may still fall very severely, but for the time being, that's how it is. Now, the reason that it can have a dip but not a dip as low as, say, 50% or worse when you have factories shut down and such a global pandemic is that you have companies in Asia that are working very hard to make displays and make laptops as fast as they can. They, the telecommunications business continues to go on. There may be some dips, but it is you know continuing to, to thrive in that sense. Uh, you also have military customers and so forth where there's interruptions, but their expectations continue uh, going forward. So the machine tools industry and some of that, that, that is a very different story. So car, you, uh, car sales in the United States are expected to drop 50%, I think, something like that. They've already gone close to that. And so for the year, I'm not sure where that'll end up. Uh, certainly airplane sales. <laughs> so Boeing was already having trouble with the Boeing Max. And then now this, the airlines are taking planes out of service rather than buying new ones. They will buy new ones because they will be more efficient, cleaner, all that. But for the time being, they're not ordering any. And so any of the tools that go into making new aircraft are not needed for now. So what's a little bit surprising is that the dip won't be worse than it is. So for all the companies that you know may not survive this crisis, it's horrible. And for the human cost, there'd be people involved, that's that's absolutely terrible. Uh, but the photonics industry can ride out or survive a lot of this just because so much of the business continues to go out. They're not consumable products. It's nothing like that, but they the business of photonics can continue on for a lot of different things. Now, that favors more diversified companies, and certainly a drop in revenues does not save you if your costs remain the same. But, uh, so I, I guess I'm a little bit surprised at that, that it, you know, may fare as well as it does. Now we'll see. We'll see what happens for the rest of the year in 2021. ASML is a company that is kind of surprising. It's a very large semiconductor tool manufacturer. So, machine tool, it's a type of machine tool, but it's in a special category because it's in the semiconductor business. So it's different from a laser based sheet metal cutter or something like that. And you would say, well, semiconductor industries and capital equipment is one that is very vulnerable to a shock like this. Uh, these tools are $130 million each. You might need a few of them, and then you need all kinds of other tools for a new semiconductor fab. So you might say, well, this is the year you're going to delay that new fab. But it turns out the semiconductor industry is just moving along, and any company that decides to sit out or delay might get left behind on the next cycle whether it's for making microprocessors or memories or ASICs or whatever. And so they need those tools. They need to go ahead with their plans, even if it's going to hurt their bottom line, which means they have to buy the tools from ASML. ASML has the, the market share in that part of the business, the microlithography business, which includes making lasers for them and so forth. And so the forecast right now is that ASML and other semiconductor tool makers will be affected maybe 5% this year, 5% down. Which is surprising to me because you would say that is the one, one of those places that would be really severely affected. 
Now, again, it could change. Maybe some of this, it'll affect future years. But to be selling these massive machine tools and only be affected by 5% is pretty surprising. Now, that's not necessarily true of other machine tool makers. They can make some machine tools and sell them, even in a bad economy, even in the worst economy. But it won't be 5%. When you think about the industries and sectors that you evaluate during this pandemic, what have you noticed or evaluated from the performance of laser companies and optics companies? The, first of all, I wouldn't distinguish between the lasers and the optics companies so much. So they're all selling parts to their customers for into different sectors. So the differences are really more important sector by sector. The machine tool sector is very vulnerable now. That, that goes machine tools are capital equipment and capital equipment tends to be more cyclic meaning the dips are bigger than even for its customers which might be big enough <laughs> to be to be concerning on the other hand you have something like telecommunications or other products where uh, certainly some of the products that are going into these test kits are consumables and can be thrown out and so to the extent that they're photonics you can sell those right now even though there's a recession that can continue. So I don't distinguish between the laser companies and the optics companies. It's really more sector by sector. Now, which ones will fare better? There are companies that, you know, very well managed, they're diversified. Certainly they'd want to have a lot of cash on hand <laughs> in a situation like this. On the other hand, if you're very leveraged, if you're a startup that's just on a shoestring, I don't think it's any surprise that the LIDAR companies right now are very exposed. There were something like 90 to 100 companies putting LiDAR products out there, and now they can't even put the robotic cars out on the streets for driving because they have to have some people in them just to take over in case something happens. And so they can't even be doing a lot of the testing, and that delays things, and that's very hard for a startup, right? So the larger, more diversified companies that, and I'm, I don't really want to name names, but uh, some of them have very good names for being well-managed. They've been around for a long time, likely to continue to be around. I'm thinking of companies in North America, in Germany, in Europe, in Japan, so on, are likely to fare through this pretty well. Smaller companies often have exposure, you know, a lot of exposure to one customer or a few com customers in a certain industry and do not necessarily have the resilient or how you say the reserve to survive a significant shock like this. What photonic sectors are having a surge compared to those that are at a greater risk of decline? How should investors evaluate those changes? First of all, I'm going to shy away from saying anything about investors. Investors include everything from highly sophisticated Wall Street investors that are managing things for funds and so forth, all the way down to people like you and me. And, and so I, I think, you know, investment advice or, or how that plays out, I think I'll stay away from that. But the... And again, I'm not sure that it would be right to say that any area is experiencing a surge. This is a massive, massive event on the scale that we haven't seen in decades or a century even. The What happened in the dot-com slash telecom bubble impacted the overall economy, but it was a telecom and a dot-com event. What happened in 2008, 2009, was also 
that ripples around the entire economy, but it was coming from the mortgage crisis and so forth. This one now is a global crisis affecting everyone in every way, right? Demand and everything. So I, I think it's hard to imagine a company if say, you know, saying that there's companies or even sectors that are experiencing a surge. I think, you know, there will be companies that are doing well. There are certainly companies that are in the life sciences sector that are addressing the COVID crisis or telecom sector, the display industry. They can't make enough image sensors now to feed into the display industry for the laptops that everybody's ordering. So, yeah, companies are racing to do as much as they can, but they're also experiencing these headwinds, right, of the supply chain issues and then also uncertainty about what's going to happen later in the year when some of this demand gets met. Will there still be more demand or then will it just fall off? So I think a surge is a bit much to try to expect. I think we should be happy with not seeing this decline any more than it is. And we're expecting something like uh, 11 to 15% this year and then recovering a little bit in 2021 and again in 2022, maybe about to the level of 2019. Now, certainly we're going to revise those numbers as we get more information. But again, for the individuals and for the companies that are catastrophically affected by this, it's absolutely horrible. You know, this is one of the worst things that can come along for your company. But what's a little bit surprising is that it may not be worse than that is just because photonics is as diversified and positioned the way it is. When you look at all the industries, all the different sectors that makes up photonics, it's pretty wide, pretty wide range. If you were to guess when the new normal might end up, would you say around 2022 or uh, would you evaluate it a little bit differently? Yeah, so we're saying 2022 is going back to the level of 2019, which, by the way, was, you know, a very high level. Uh, so you could say that 2020 and 2021 are still pretty high levels in the history of photonics, but nobody cares about the absolute value of the photonics market. You only care about what direction it's going and if, the, if there's a minus sign in front of that. So 11 to 15%. Uh, from this very high number, you might say, well, that's still higher than most of the history of optics and photonics. Well, yeah, but minus 11 to 15% is a massive shock to, you know, this industry. It's a minus sign and it's a significant jump. Understandably, it could still be worse. Uh, so 2022 is a point where we say, okay, it could be back to the 2019 level. Now that's going to vary a lot of sector by sector. So again, machine tools, the auto industry, may retool for electric cars, but it may be hard for the auto industry to really recover in the short time. The airline industry, so Boeing, Airbus, they're looking at a long time frame and getting out of photonics altogether and looking at uh, travel and other industries like that, again, hospitality and some of that, they may have many years ahead of recovery trying to get out of the pandemic mindset. But for the photonics industry, as far as the numbers go, it seems very conceivable that by 2022 we could be back to that 2019 number and the landscape might be a little bit different, uh, market share, uh, that kind of thing. But there's other factors in that too. Once again, the trade war, there's a U.S. election coming up. There are uh, political things going on in Europe and elsewhere in the world. So it's not just the pandemic. There'll be a lot of factors that will play into <laughs> what things will look like in 2022. That's Dr. Tom Haskin. He's a senior industry advisor at OSA. Dr. Haskin, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. 
That'll do it for this episode of All Things Photonics. Our engineers are Alan Shepard and Brian Healy. Our featured artist is Kid Animal out of Los Angeles. You can find them on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or your favorite music app. Thank you most of all to you, our listeners. If you have a suggestion for a story or you just want to reach out, you can email us at allthingsphotonics.com. All Things Photonics is available on all major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google. Subscribe wherever you may be listening and never miss a new episode. You can also subscribe to this podcast on our website, photonics.com slash podcast, where you will find episode notes, links to the complete stories you heard, and some interesting side stories that didn't make it in. I'm your host, Emmett Warren. You've been listening to a Photonics Media production.